that message still rings so true, even in a time and uh, in a place where in the last week we've had much uncertainty about our nation and about what's going on in the world around us, Jesus saves. That is the message that needs to be heard, Jesus saves. You'll notice uh, that I'm down here this morning, um, and uh, many of you, uh, if you've been here for the last couple of years, you know that at the beginning of the new year, I kind of like to, to just talk, um, and some of you are going to say, well, you do that a lot anyway, but, <laughs> but this isn't so much what we would call a message or a sermon. Uh, we're not basing this morning off of a passage or off of uh, a, a certain verse. And this is more of a family talk about where we're at, what the Lord's leading and what the Lord's doing. And this morning especially, my mind is on history. Uh, my sister, for Christmas, uh, gave my mom and dad really unique gifts. Uh, kind of made my gift look pretty small, which I appreciated. But she... She handed them each a book that she had made, and I mean, it was bound, I mean, it was well done, and, and each book traced their family history back, and it had stories in it, and, and each, each one, my mom's, for instance, went back 16 generations. My dad's went back 13 generations. Lisa had worked on those, and this is why she's the golden child. She had worked on these for four years. Um, and so she had put a lot of time and a lot of effort. And there were some amazing things in there. We learned that um, one of dad's relatives had been killed by a bull. Um, and that that was a great loss for the community that he was in. Um, and just got to read a lot about his life story. It made the paper. Got to learn that one of mom's ancestors was an incredibly famous uh, furniture maker whose furniture still goes for tens of thousands of dollars um, learned that one of mom's other family members was the secu church security during the uh, Massachusetts witch trials for those churches. Um, so just a really weird and eclectic thing, but there was a lot of neat stories in it. And it really was really interesting for me because I, I love history. My other major in college was history. And I love seeing how you, no matter what level of history you look at, you get to see all these neat stories and you get to see what God's doing. Whether you look at global history and you see how God uses everything from uh, the great empires of early history to the conquest of men like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan. And you see the power of the Roman Empire or the devastation of the wars that have happened throughout history human history throughout you see God's hand through the blessing and the tragedy but you can even you can shrink that down and you see the same thing you look at just the the short history when you think about uh, world history the short history of America and you see the same thing the great triumphs and the great men and women that God has used to form our country but also the great tragedies that have happened and how yet God's hand goes through it all you can boil it down even smaller to a state to a family, like what I just talked about, or even to an individual. And you see great triumphs, great victories. You see great tragedies, great sadness. And yet you see the hand of God through it all. When 2020 brings us to a momentous occasion in the life of our church and of our family, 
as 2020 in September, we will celebrate 150 years as a church. And one of the great blessings that I've had in the last several months is to go back and be able to read the business meeting notes of our church. We have business meeting notes back through the 1800s. And to be able to read, and some of them have great stories of triumph. Triumph with the building of a new sanctuary. Triumph of some great revivals and seeing the Lord move through great times of the Spirit where we saw a great number of baptisms and discipleship was happening and the the church was growing. Great tragedy as the pastor who helped lead the building of that sanctuary, he got to preach the first sermon in the new sanctuary and the next week he passed away. A time of great heartbreak for a church that should have been in great celebration. History, by the way, that I hope doesn't repeat itself. So we see, and we see other times when the church was down to its last dollar and it didn't know how it was going to pay the, the gas bill that week. We see other stories that are just kind of funny, like the time that the church and a local coal provider got in a little bit of a war because the coal delivery people wanted to cut through the church yard and were leaving ruts. And so the church responded by building concrete curbs around the church <clears throat> or the time in the early 1920s when the deacons were asked to protest the local auto club for reasons that are not clear. Or the signs that were instructed to be posted in all the trees around the church urging people not to hitch their horses there. Just different things that we see through our history. Some of them are funny. Some of them are great and encouraging. Some of them are heartbreaking. But it's our history. And so it's natural as we come to a new year, especially one where we get to celebrate such a momentous occasion in the life of our church that we would look back. And we look back and understand that we did not get here by accident. That we stand on the shoulders of great saints, great giants who came before us. People like pastor, or as they use the term, elder, Noel, who was the planter and first pastor of FBC Vandalia, then known as New Michigan. Or A.M. Vardaman, who was the pastor that I told you about that led, the, that led the congregation to build a new sanctuary and then tragically passed away. Or J.S. Con- Connor, the longest tenured pastor at FBC. Or maybe the founding 13 members of then New Michigan Baptist Church. Or maybe the numerous pastors ministers, deacons, Sunday school teachers, piano players, and lay people who have come before us. Many of you may be thinking of names right now. Some of them are in this room. Some of them are still with us, but many have passed on before us. People that I wish I would have had the chance to meet. There, there's a list in my head of, of people that I hear about on a, on a regular basis that I wish, oh, I wish I would have been here just a few years earlier so I could have met them. People that you knew well. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher who just gave an extra level of love towards you as a child. Or was just off the charts brilliant and it helped you to see the word of God in a new and a fresh way. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a youth minister or a music minister. Maybe it was a Sunday school, like I said, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a music leader or or a pianist. Maybe it was just the person that invited you here. 
the person that cared enough about you to take the time to say, hey, you should join me at this place we call FBC Vandalia. Whatever, whatever you, or whoever you are thinking about, we, we all have those memories. And one of the questions that I ask as I was thinking about this is, who are we doing that for? Who will come behind us and they will think, oh, I remember that Sunday school teacher. I remember that person that prayed for me, that invited me, that cared for me and my family. As I thought about all of this, though, one of the things that I kept coming back to was one of the first documents that we have recorded in our history. It comes from December of 1890, roughly 20 years after the founding of the church. But there's good reason to believe that it is the original document, that is the original wording of the church that was planted here. And it was called the Standard Covenant. It was the the promise that the members of New Michigan Baptist Church made to one another as they formed the church, and then the promise that they made, others made as they joined in. I'm gonna re- I want to read just a little bit to it, and then I want to take it, and I want to I want to just dive into it just for a moment. And the reason for that is because I believe, and we see this in the Word of God, but we see it throughout history that the vision that God gives a church and He gives a people often is one that He intends to last forever. So I want us just to go back to our roots a little bit, to go back to where we started, and to see the heart of these people. The Standard Covenant adopted by the Vandalia Baptist Church, December 1890. As believers in Christ, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrine to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of its ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all the nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion, to religiously educate our children, to see the salvation of our kindred and our acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and great examples in our departments, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it, reconciliation, without delay. Quite the statement. Remember, as I read that the first time, you will not be surprised that I cried. As I thought about 13 people sitting down and saying, what is the vision? What is the heart of what we want to do here? Of what we believe that God wants to do through us in this community of Vandalia? Who are we? 
And who do we want to be? By the blessing and the grace of God. And so I want to I take just a quick look at this. I want to break it apart just a little bit. In the first paragraph, we see some great generalities. They're good generalities, but they're, they're grand generalities. First, they recognize that none of this is possible without the Holy Spirit. None of this is possible without the work of God. We can try our best to be good people. We can try our best to give well. We can try our best to do good things. But without the work of the Lord, then the kingdom work will never be accomplished. Because the truth is, is that you and I cannot change lives. You and I can't cause salvation. You and I are unable to give new hearts where dead ones exist. And so while we can try to do much good, while we can try to be good people, we desperately need the Spirit. We desperately need Him. Second generality that we see here is the, Christian, the idea of Christian love. And this is going to be spelled out in the third paragraph where rubber kind of begins to meet the road. But we get, we're reminded that brotherly love really is the mark of a church. After all, Jesus Christ himself says in the Gospel of John, this is how they will know you. He could have said a lot of things after that. He could have said it was by your speech. He could have said it was by your buildings. He could have said that it's by your actions. But what he says is they will know you by your love. And those that have gone before us grabbed hold of that. They give a great generality of wanting to protect the faith. To protect the church from the world. Not in the sense that we put walls up around us and we become isolated from the world, but just that we stand for truth and we don't give that up. Sadly, we see many churches have lost this vision. We look at our brothers and sisters in the United Methodist congregation who in the last couple of weeks have voted to divide themselves over the issue of marriage. While it's not a sure thing, and we pray that when the national convention meets that this will change, it's heartbreaking that so many of their leadership no longer sees the Bible as the truth. And so many of our churches in the United States have given this up. I pray that we never lose this vision to hold on to the word of God for all that we are and to proclaim the truth, no matter how unpopular it may be. No matter how unpopular and how dangerous it may become. The final thing that we see in this first paragraph is we see a commitment to be involved and have a stake in the cost of the kingdom work. They understood that if they were to be the church that God was calling them to be, if they were to go the places that he was calling them to go, to do the things that he was calling them to do, that there would be a cost. A cost of ministry, a cost of expenses, a cost to help those that find themselves in less fortunate areas, a cost to take the gospel around the world. And they made a commitment that they would be involved. That early church, one of the interesting things that I read in our minutes was in the early church what they would do 
is they would, and by early church, I mean 1870s through about 1919, 1920. What they would do is at the beginning of the year, you would hand in a card that was your pledge for the year. This was what your offerings for the year were going to be. You weren't expected to give it all at that time, but you were expected to meet that number by the end of the year. And that's how they did their budget. They would collect those cards, and then they would do a budget based off of that. And then there was a committee that we all would love to serve on. There was a committee that would start meeting about July to follow up on those pledges and knock on doors and say, brother, sister, your pledge has not been met. You are falling behind. Quite thankfully, we no longer do that. (laughs) But there was a commitment. There was an accountability that we were in this together, that we were going to work together, that we were going to be cooperative in how we gave so that we might do more together than we could ever do apart. This is why I love being Southern Baptist, because of the cooperative program, that we come together and support and send out missionaries as a whole in a way that we never could as individual churches. And I'm thankful that, that we have such a generous church, and I've said that before from, from the pulpit, but, and I've said that privately, but I've, I've never been around a church as generous with resources as this one. And there are people in our association that know us as a generous church. There are people in our state that know us as a generous church. And I pray that that never changes. And I'm thankful for for that. At the same time, we come to the second paragraph. And that second paragraph, they go from talking about generalities, they go from talking about the financial cost of a church, and they move into everyday life they understood that your faith does not just happen on Sundays that your faith doesn't just happen for a couple hours on one morning a week or maybe a a Wednesday night if you're a really faithful member no they understood that if we were going to be at the church that God was calling us to be that we had to show that in our everyday lives and so they make make some statements about faith at home they make some commitments saying that we will practice devotion in a family sense, practice devotion in an individual sense, that we will educate our children in a religious and a faith sense. They didn't look at the church and say, that's your job. Oh, they'll learn that in Sunday school. Oh, they'll learn that at VBS. Oh, they'll learn that in the children's sermon. They looked at their children and they said, that is our responsibility that is our hope and our future and they practiced their faith at their home where their kids could see it I have firm believer that this is why so many in our faith so many that used to be part of our faith so many of our young people have walked away from the church because they never saw it practiced at home so they never saw its value They walked away because it was an add-on. It was like any other activity that we did. It's just something that we did on the side, but it was never who we were as a family. And so if I don't have time for it, then I'm just going to walk away. Our founding fathers took control of this. They made it a priority. And they had a desire that their children, that their kindred, and their acquaintances would know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they made that a priority. 
So they had a promise of faith at home, but they also had a promise of holy living in the community. They made a promise. They made of great importance how they did business with the community. They made of great importance their word to the community. They made of great importance their daily actions and their work ethic. And they made of great importance what I'm calling their social chatter. I love that line in there, by the way. We're going to get this in a minute, but I, I love the line that says, we will withhold from tattling. It's like you're talking to a three-year-old, but we will withhold from tattling. But they made this of great importance. And, and it brings to mind what a, what a pastor said not too long ago. He said, can you imagine this conversation? Let's say it's between George and Bob. And George and Bob are, are business owners, and George sees Bob one morning and they're having coffee and he says, you're never going to believe what happened this week. Oh yeah, what happened? I hired a Christian. Whoa. I'm so jealous right now. I wish I could hire a Christian. Man, you watch those people and they work harder when you're not there than when you are. You watch those people and they're honest. You watch those people. Man, I love it when a Christian works my front desk because they're going to take care of people. They're going to go the extra mile. Man, I wish, I wish I could hire a Christian. Or let's say Susie and Regina get together. Susie says to Regina, you're never going to believe what happened to me this week. What happened? Well, I started a new job and I found out that my boss was a believer, that he's this Christian. No. I wish I had a boss that was a Christian. Man, they, they're honest and they, they treat their employees well. They expect good things. They expect you to work hard, but they're fair. And their wages, they're fair in so many areas. Or maybe, maybe for our time, the conversation needs to be, man, have you ever noticed those Christians on Facebook? They're different. They don't bicker. Their language is, is so kind and yeah, they, they make statements that I don't necessarily understand, but, but it sounds like they're speaking truth. It doesn't sound like they're talking down to you. And they share their life, like they share the good things and they, they glorify God, but even in the bad things, they praise Him. It's weird. Those Christians on Facebook, I just, I don't get it. And in all these conversations, they end by saying, maybe there's something different there. Maybe this Christian thing is something I should check out. Our forefathers, those that planted this church, the men and women who were here, knew that if we were going to be the church that God called us to be, we had to live differently. It couldn't just be about giving of resources. It couldn't just be about showing up once a week. That it had to be a daily thing in relationship to others if the kingdom work was going to happen. And then we get to the third paragraph. In the third paragraph, they turned their attention from how they were going to live their life outwards to how they were going to live it within the four walls. They say in that third paragraph, we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. In other words, they held each other accountable. Not in the way that you were constantly like waiting for one of your brothers or sisters to fall into a trap, but rather to say, hey, I see this in your life and I'm concerned about you. Don't go that way. Don't do that thing. I love you too much to allow you to continue to walk that way. 
They make commitments to pray for one another. Not just to say it, but to do it. To hear when someone shares their heart and to stop and say, let me pray with you right now. Something that I'm convicted about all the time. Sometimes we get busy, don't we? We get busy in life and we ask someone how their day is going and we ask them what's going on and they share their heart with us and then we end that conversation by just saying, man, I'll pray for you. But how many times do we stop what we're doing and actually pray for them right there? They share their heart. They need it. And then we're surprised the next time that we ask, how are you doing? And they say, oh, good. Oh, everything's fine. Because they know if they share their heart, it's not going to make a difference. We pray for one another. To aid each other in sickness and distress. They are quick to bring the lasagna to someone's house. To scoop someone's snow. To mow someone's lawn. To be there to sit in a nursing home or a hospital or just in someone's home. They cared about one another. In encouragement, they cared about each other with their deeds. Because they knew that when people from the outside saw that, that they were going to see something different than what the world had to offer. Probably the hardest one, though, is the last couple lines. It says that they, they would be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. That's hard. We live in a world that is not slow to any offense. We read something on Facebook or we see something on the news and we instantly grab our sword and our shield and we think that we have to run into battle. Every word is an offense to someone. It's incredible. The founding fathers of our church, the men and women who were here, made up those 13 individuals. They said, that's not going to be us. We want to be different because God has called us to be different. We're going to be slow to take offense, slow to get angry, slow to hold grudges, slow to think that someone had the worst intentions. Anytime you get more than three people, someone's going to rub somebody the wrong way. doesn't matter if they're family or they're church family or they're just part of an organization. You're going to rub somebody the wrong way. Somebody's going to, you're going to think, man, why do they do that? Why did they say that? Why did they use this word instead of that word? Oh, what do they think about me? Oh, I'm not sure what, what they're doing. And, and I, man, I would have done that a different way. I, I have some information that may or may not be news to you. Someone thinks the same about you. And honestly, there are probably many of you out there that I'm that person that rubs you the wrong way. And for that, I, I sincerely apologize. That's never my intention. But we're going to rub each other the wrong way. You spend this much time with this many people, it's going to happen. We're slow to take offense. We're slow to think that they're doing it on purpose. We're quick to remember that we are saints saved by grace, but that we are far from being glorified. We are still in the sanctification process, still in the improving process as the Lord walks with us. And they're quick to restore the relationship. Let me ask you something. You can probably, if I say, who's the person that rubs you the wrong way? Don't answer out loud. But you can probably think of someone. You can probably think of someone. 
Here's my question. When was the last time you prayed for them? When was the last time you prayed with them? When was the last time you had them over for dinner? This is what we're talking about. This is community. This is looking different than the world looks. Being slow to offense and being quick to restore the relationship. Always looking away for a way to improve the relationships. Man, as I look back on this now, I think, this is hard. As I look back on this standard covenant, I think, what were they saying? What were they promising? For me to, to be involved in the, the cost of the gospel. For me to live out the gospel. For me to love the church in this way. This is a difficult thing. No wonder they start off the covenant. No wonder they start off this message with as believers in Christ. We engage therefore by the aid of the Holy Spirit. As we look through this passage, as we look, or not passage, but as we look at, at this covenant, I want us to notice two things. One, notice, notice the focus on community. Notice the focus on community. In paragraph one, we see community with God and with a global faith. In, in paragraph two, we see community in the context of social order. Community in family, community in work and in, in our daily lives, community in our, our entertainment, in the, in the way that we talk about one another, in the way that we, we talk when we're just having fun. In the paragraph three, we see community in the context of the local body. Community runs throughout this covenant and throughout this document. It is the vision of the church. And notice, secondly, the responsibility to community. A responsibility to the church globally. A responsibility to our families as we look to instruct and to disciple our own families. A responsibility to Vandalia. Not to just be shut-ins, but to be active good neighbors and members of the place that we've been planted. And a responsibility to our church family. This is an incredible document, an incredible vision for a church. And so in 2020, our focus, and yes, 2020 and focus are there on purpose, our 2020 focus is on community. We're going to be asking questions like, what does Scripture say about community? What does Scripture say about hospitality? What does Scripture say about how we're to act as church members towards one another and towards those outside of our community, our little family. We're going to be asking questions like, what does it mean to be a citizen of a country, especially in a year where we're facing election and, and many other things? How do we as Christians act in a community that allows us to have those privileges and rights? We're going to ask the question, how are we accomplishing these things? These, these are questions that may not even be asked in a large setting, but in a small committee or, or group setting. How is our children's ministry community-minded, both inwardly and outwardly? How is our Sunday school program inwardly and outwardly community-based? 
How is our adult program, our, our food pantry, how are all of these things, how, how are we integrating community, the, the initial vision that the Lord had given this church? How are we doing those things? We do all of them. We do all of them that the kingdom of God may come to Vandalia. As we, as we went on vacation, we, we got to spend some great time with the family, uh, Melissa's family. And one of the things that we got to do was we got to spend some time in the, the mountains. And the mountains were just beautiful and we had great weather. And while we were there, we got to visit a camp. And in this camp, uh, it was run by the YMCA, and in the back of the camp, on the edge of a mountain, was a chapel. And it was open air, and you could see out into the valley. And I can't begin to describe to you the beauty of this place. Dead of winter, no leaves on tree, lots of gray. It didn't matter. It was majestic. And all around this chapel were plaques, and they were dedicated to people that had been integral in the, in the process of establishing the camp and making the camp go. But it was really interesting because as you read these plaques, sometimes it was difficult to figure out who the plaque belonged to because the words for their name were itty-bitty, and they were often hidden in the corner of the plaque. But in the center of the plaque, in big letters, easy to read, was the message that they wanted to share. Many times it was a message of hope, Even more often, it was Scripture and words of God that they wanted those that were there, probably not paying attention to the sermon that was being preached, to know. But on one plaque in particular, there was a a message, and it was a poem written by a Methodist minister back in roughly the 1920s, 1930s. He says this, what, what care I who gets the credit? Only let the work be done. Christ himself will handle credits with the setting of the sun. Praise or blame, what does it matter? Rise above them every day. Soul, you'll never win a battle if you fear what men may say. Keep your eyes on God, you preacher. People praise and people blame. Sometimes they cheer And sometimes they curse you. Speak the message just the same. While the world is sick and waiting for something I can be, help me, O Lord, in my stress and struggle just to keep my eyes on thee. Brothers and sisters, I pray this year, as we focus on community and as we focus on the kingdom of God coming to this town, for men and women to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That we would keep our eyes focused on Him. That we would not care about who gets the credit. What does it matter, the name of us? What does it matter, the name of our church? But that He gets the credit. And that men and women know Him. What does it matter what they say about us? The world will say what they want to say. Our vision Our our words may be unpopular, but Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's keep our eyes on him in 2020. May we focus 
on Him and Him alone. As we desire to be part of community, both in our families and in our church and in Vandalia. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, what a great and glorious God you are. Lord, as we look through the history of mankind, as we look at the history of all that is around us, Lord, both the, the history globally and a, and a history of our country and the history of our families and the, and the history of this church, we see your hand and how you have given much grace and you've given much blessing through both the good times and the bad times. Lord, I pray that as we go out of this place, that we would have a desire for you and that we, we would have a desire for the community that you have put us in. Lord, that we would have a desire to share in the cost of the kingdom. That we would have a desire to share in the daily things that need to happen for the kingdom. Lord, that we would live lives that are focused on you. Father, that we would have a desire for our church family to know and to love them well. To be quick, to be forgiving, but slow in taking offense. Lord, thank you for where you have put us. Lord, thank you for where you've put Melissa and myself and our family. Thank you for where you've put each one of us as individuals. That you have placed us here for a purpose. Lord, I can't wait to see what history is written this, this year. As we work and we focus on you. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.